You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. We are going to be looking at the passage from Ruth, and you will find that on page 210 of your Bibles. It's a great idea to have that open, because it is one of the most beautiful short stories, I think, that has ever been written uh, anywhere in the world. So uh, page 210 is that beautiful story. Uh, We're going to be looking at Ruth in chapter 2. Well, I wonder if you are a romantic at all. Uh, I am not very good at the practical side of romance, uh, actually, but I love watching romances. I am a bit of a sucker for a romantic comedy, and I love hearing about how people met and how they ended up together. Uh, Hannah and I met at uni- on a university camp. I can still remember my very first words to Hannah because they were so bad. <laughs> my first words to my wife were, you look a lot like a girl I know. <laughs> yeah, Hannah wasn't very impressed. It was some years before I sufficiently recovered from that dreadful start. Uh, for the romance to blossom, but I'm so (laughs) glad that it eventually did. The book of Ruth is a a love story. And in chapter 2, we get to listen in on Boaz as he speaks the first words he ever speaks to Ruth. And uh, I don't think it'll be a surprise to anyone that Boaz does a lot better job than I did. As we get into this particular love story, though, it's, it, it doesn't look promising as a love story. Ruth and Naomi are in a really difficult position. So if you tuned into the episode last week, you know, previously on Ruth, a story of love and de- redemption, you'll remember there was a drought in Israel. And Naomi went off with her husband Elimelech and her two sons. They went off to Moab where there was food. And her two sons married local Moabite women, uh, Ruth and Orpah, but then tragedy strikes. Elimelech dies, and so do Marlon and Kilion, the two sons, as well. Well, Naomi hears that God has had mercy on Bethlehem, the drought is over, so she decides there's nothing left here for me in Moab, and so she heads back to Bethlehem. Ruth in a wonderful expression of her love and care for Naomi and trust in God, says these famous words which we've heard, where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And so they head back to Bethlehem together. But it's not a a really hopeful story at this stage. When Naomi says in chapter 1 that she's gone away full, she's come back empty, she's not far off the mark. And Naomi had prayed a prayer for Ruth back in chapter 1. She'd prayed, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you fine security, each of you in the house of your husband. But as chapter 2 opens, that does not look very likely at all. Without husbands and sons in that society at that time, Naomi and Ruth uh, have no income. They're living in poverty. And as chapter 2 repeatedly highlights, it comes up five times in this chapter 
uh, Ruth is a Moabitess. She is a foreigner. She's from a land that has been in constant war with Israel. So not just a foreigner, she's an enemy. All the local families, as they look at their fine sons and dream of uh, the wives that they might have, none of them are dreaming of having a poor foreign girl from a land that they hate. Things are not looking good for Ruth or for Naomi. Well, as chapter 2 opens, Naomi and Ruth are in a difficult spot. And so chapter 1 is ended really with two big questions. These are the two big questions of the whole story that we're looking at. The, Naomi, the first of the two big questions is, Naomi is empty. How is she going to be filled? And the second big question is, Ruth is poor and a foreigner. How will she find security and blessing? And the answer to those questions are weaved together throughout the rest of the story. And so, uh, chapter 2, the love story begins. Ruth knows they need food, so she goes to the fields to glean. And it says, She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. It just so happened. By some remarkable coincidence, she ends up in the field of Boaz, who we've been introduced to in verse 1 of chapter 2, so we know he's going to be really important in the story, uh, that he's a prominent, rich man. In fact, he's more than that. In the Hebrew, it's, he's a gibor hayil, uh, which is a man of noble Character. Ruth is actually called a similar thing in chapter 4. She's an eshet chayil. She's a woman of noble character. It's the same words that are used if you know Proverbs 31 and that very famous and uh, woman who is extraordinarily difficult to live up to, that woman of noble character in Proverbs 31. Same word. So Boaz is a man of noble character. He's a godly man. He's a man of integrity. He's uh, uh, Gabor is, is like a hero, a valiant man, a man, a mighty man. Uh, it is also translated in 1 Samuel, which we'll see a little bit later. And so Boaz is a very eligible bachelor. He would make it onto the godly Jewish version of Farmer Wants a Wife. No trouble whatsoever. He would, he would be right there. Uh, he's rich, yes, but most importantly, he's a godly man. He's a godly man. And the rest of this story will bear this out. Uh, you know, it's Father's Day and we fathers, in fact, any, any man among us, we all need good examples to live up to. Well, watch Boaz as he works. See him provide for, see him protect, see him shower his kindness upon. Uh, those that are around him. Boaz is uh, a man who is well worth emulating. He's a godly man. The first words on his lips as he goes into his workplace is, the Lord be with you, which uh, is, can tell you straight away that he's Anglican. <laughs> Isn't it? Like, I say, the Lord be with you. Yes. There we go. He's clearly an Anglican. 
The Lord be with you. He's a man who looks out for and protects the vulnerable. He's kind, he's full of integrity. He makes sure those who work for him are too. Uh, And as it happens, as it happens, Ruth ends up in the fields of this man. And just then, uh, narrator says, just then, at that time, Boaz comes to the field. It's almost as though it's meant to be, isn't it? Do you believe in destiny? Well, the, the writer of this short story certainly does. He sees that God was at work in this particular story to bring these two together. He doesn't say it outright, at least not now. But I think we're meant to see the fingerprints of God's providence. Uh, We're meant to see that in God's grace, he's already at work answering Naomi's prayer for Ruth. And I think it's one of the beautiful things about reading the Bible is that you get to see uh, the way that God has worked in the lives of people within the biblical narratives, people like Boaz and and Ruth, and perhaps learn to begin to recognise God's work in our own lives. As we learn to read what's written in large letters in the lives of the characters that inhabit the pages of our Bible, uh, we can better read when God writes in the small letters in the events that we see in our lives. Do you recognise the fingerprints of God's providential care for you in the details of your life? Uh, Do you see it in the happy coincidences, the fortuitous timing, the way a person's brought into your life at just the right time? William Temple, uh, one time Archbishop of Canterbury, once noted, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. God is at work. Ruth just happened to go to Boaz's field and Boaz just happened to arrive at precisely that time. And he notices this Moabite. He knows the people who are working for him. He knows them personally and when he looks and sees, he recognises that Ruth's not one of the regular crew. And uh, so he goes to the man in charge and he inquires after her and the guy in charge, he doesn't even know her name. And in fact, he's really keen that Boaz is aware that she's not, she's not a good Israelite girl. He says twice, you know, she's the Moabitess, you know, the one who came from Moab, in case you missed it the first time. He doesn't know her name. And you can almost hear the distaste in his mouth as he says that word, word Moab. But he does give her her due. He does say she, she has been working hard all day. She's hardly stopped. Well, Boaz only has to hear who she is and, and suddenly his kindness uh, kicks into gear. And what he does is he recognises straight away both her need and he recognises her vulnerability. He says, stay in my field, stay near the other reapers, drink what you need to and, you know, what I've reminded my workers, as I always do, that they are to treat women with respect and care. You're going to be safe in my field. They won't bother you. Now, why does he do that? Now, on one hand, you would kind of hope that any good man would do the same. 
that that's, this is what you should do. But it's actually really surprising to Ruth. You've got to see how surprising this is. Um, Ruth is from the hated country of Moab. The Moabites have been killing Israelites. This isn't just like we don't really like them because their football team beat us. No, this is serious animosity. And she's poor. And there's a social gulf between Boaz and Ruth that is almost unbridgeable in the social milieu in which they live. It is shocking that Boaz is even talking to Ruth in this society at that time. So Ruth is shocked. She's surprised. You see that in verse 10. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, why have I found favour in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? Why are you doing this for me? I'm a Moabitess, in case you hadn't noticed. My experience so far is that people don't like me. I go into the shops and they look suspiciously at me. I go to the well and the other people don't, women don't talk to me. Why are you being so kind? And what's Boaz's answer? Was it that he, you know, he looked at this woman, he, he felt sorry for her, or he looked at her and thought, well, here's an opportunity to be a good guy and show my beneficence? And no, that's, that's not the answer he gives. Why does he do it? Because he's full of admiration for her. He admires her. Verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. He admires the loyalty and kindness of Naomi. He's heard all about what she has done for uh, Naomi and uh, to care for her. And it's interesting that Ruth's loving kindness to Naomi actually has inspired Boaz's loving kindness to Ruth. That's, that's what kindness does. Kindness is really over, underrated. If you can find kindness in a man, hold on to it. It's one of the most important things, I think. Kindness gives birth to kindness. Boaz admires her kindness and he also admires her courage to leave her family and go to a whole new land. So many of you, I know, have had that kind of courage. So many of you have left your country and come to Australia, a a country you didn't know before. And for many of you, it's been full of sacrifice for the good of your children, perhaps for the good of your family back, uh, back home. And I know for many it's been hard, it's been a struggle financially and socially, and perhaps you've had to work long hours for gleanings, for the leftovers. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning we see you and we admire your courage because it takes courage to do that. It's courage like Ruth. It's full of sacrifice for others and therefore it is a noble and it is a strong thing. Boaz admires Ruth's courage and kindness, but he also He also admires her faith. Verse 12, 
May the Lord reward you for your deeds and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Why am I doing this, Boaz says? Well, it's because you've come for refuge under the wings of the Lord. Isn't it a beautiful picture? It's like a a mother hen or a mother bird gathering the little chicks under the wing and holding them close and protecting them and and there's just comfort and security there and uh, Boaz is admiring that Ruth has come to God in that way that and Boaz recognizes that for all the good things that he's doing he's really just the instrument of God's reward for her he's really just the result of the fact that Ruth has come to God for comfort and refuge. Uh, Ruth has set her heart on God as her comfort and joy, and God is in the very process of enfolding her under his wing. Well, maybe you are in a maybe you're in a bit of a difficult position at the moment. And you know what one of the most wonderful and best things to do when you're in that kind of position is to come to God and take refuge under his wing. And, you know, maybe you've cried out to God and said, God, I want, I want that refuge. And you just feel like it hasn't come yet. Well, Ruth, Ruth didn't know that his wing was coming around her. And sometimes in the darkness, it's hard to see the shadow of his wing. But it may be that even now, God is stretching out his wing in love and care and protection for you. Uh, Boaz admires Ruth's courage and kindness and her faith and, and even at this point you, you begin to feel like that admiration is, is uh, spilling over into the first glimmerings of something more, perhaps a, a love. You can see this story might be going somewhere. And so he lets her glean in the field and provides for her and protects her and at the mealtime uh, his kindness just grows. So verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some of this bread and dip your morsel in the sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he heaped up for her some parched grain. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. He's supplying above and beyond. He's giving her protection from those who would be against her by being close to the reapers. He's giving her the food that she needs above what she's actually gleaning. And when she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean even among the standing sheaves and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls for her from the bundles and leave them for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Now, in the law of God, in the book of Leviticus, which I'm sure you're reading constantly, God's love for the poor and the migrant is practically expressed. So uh, Leviticus 19 verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the migrant, for the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. See, the heart of God is to provide for those who cannot provide for themselves. 
God's law isn't just a whole lot of rules. It's actually an expression of his love. Uh, so if the, whole, if the whole of the Bible is a love story, which I, I really think it is, if the whole of the Bible is a love story, then the law is God's love letter to the world. It's a love letter telling you about himself, his character and who he is, and an expression of his care for you. And so uh, as we read that, uh, we should be like our God. I don't know, maybe there are some people here who look at the poor and maybe at the foreigner and maybe you look down at them, but you need to know that God doesn't. God looks upon them with compassion and care and sees his children. So Boaz doesn't just want to keep the law here. Actually, he goes well beyond it. He, he goes beyond the letter of the law. He goes to the very heart of the law, to the very heart of God. He doesn't just let Ruth glean the leftovers. He teaches his own workers generosity by getting them to leave her extra. Isn't that wonderful? You know, you feel so good when you're generous with things. But being generous with someone else's things, that's a lot of fun. Uh, he's teaching his own people how to be generous and care. Uh, he goes beyond the letter of the law to the heart of the law. He loves God with all his heart, mind, soul and strength. And so he loves his neighbour, Ruth, as himself. Well, Ruth has had an amazing day. She comes home and she shows Naomi uh, what she has got. She's got an ephah of barley. Now, this is an enormous amount of barley. She's gathered enough uh, for 10 days' worth of food just in one day. And it's no wonder... Uh, that Naomi says, where did you glean today? And when Ruth says in the field of Boaz, we suddenly learn something that puts a different complexion, uh, a totally different light on the things that have happened. It transforms Naomi's entire view of what God's doing in her life. Uh, suddenly Naomi could see that the hand, uh, that the God who she said had dealt bitterly with her in chapter 1, was doing no such thing. Verse 20. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi can see as clear as day that God's hand is in all of this and it is a hand of kindness. Why? Why? Naomi also said to her, the man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. You can almost hear the cogs whirring as the matchmaking heart of Naomi springs into life. She's got the gleam in her eye already. But why? Why is it significant? Nearest of kin uh, translates the Hebrew word goel. And goel is one of those Hebrew terms that you can't really, there's no direct English equivalent uh, and there's not even a really direct cultural equivalent in Australia and the way in our culture. Uh, so the nearest of kin, in ancient Hebrew culture, the goel uh, could play a whole lot of different roles. If a married man died without children, his brother, acting as goel, was expected to marry the widow and carry on the dead man's lineage. If someone was forced to sell their family land, remembering that land is 
incredibly important in uh, Old Testament Israel. A family member, again acting as Goel, was supposed to eventually restore the family's title to the land. If a family member was murdered, it was up to the Goel to seek justice. The Goel is like a family, it's, well, a family redeemer. One who looks after and protects and cares for and restores. And so Naomi says, this man, this man is a Goel, a redeemer. And she's all carried away with the romantic possibilities. And you can almost see her planning the wedding. Uh, He's a Goel. Well, all the ingredients are here. But will it happen? Will it happen? You know, in every romance, there's that period where it's just this this fusion of excitement and tension in the air because the guy likes the girl and he thinks the girl likes him, but they're not really sure. And is it going to come together? Are they actually going to get together? Well, that's where chapter 2 ends in Ruth. And if you want to know the answer, you have to come back to church next week. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your care and your uh, delight in your people and that you answer prayers like Naomi's. You answer our prayers too. And uh, Father, we thank you that just as Boaz was a redeemer uh, for this family, that in a much, much bigger way, uh, you're a redeemer for us. And that in our emptiness, you fill us. And in our need, you forgive us and you restore us and you strengthen us and you give us new hope for a future and that you shower us with your love as our great redeemer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that we, as uh, we continue in this story, we might continue to see not just a charming and beautiful story of what you have done in the lives of a couple of people, but to see something more of the beauty and the charm of your love story for us and for this world and your redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.